Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roth Pod, Roadie on the Horn podcast. I am here with, first off, you know, we'll introduce my lovely co-host. Uh, he's currently wearing a hood, sitting in his, I think it's his childhood bedroom. I could be mistaken on that, but I'm seeing the posters on the wall, you know, Fathead edition. Ryan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great today, Donnie. I am indeed in my home bedroom right now it's great I mean I love the Eagles as you guys know if you listen to this podcast regularly so I'm doing great I mean I'm just super excited to chat with you again today Donnie about you know just what's going on in sports you know there's been a lot of COVID stuff going on lately which kind of sucks but you know it is what it is we got real sports to talk about too so I'm doing well how are you doing man yeah I'm doing well and we have uh you know our our only really frequent guest at this point Eric uh Eric how are you doing? What's going on? How's life been? Obviously, you are in school. It's like finals week-ish for you, maybe. Yeah. It should be finals week. Yep. How's that going? Uh, just to preface this, the last time we talked with Eric, we were on his podcast, and Eric was very, very down bad. He was having a tough day. So, yeah. Eric, has, every, has anything turned around? Are, are you feeling better now? You know, I am feeling a little better, Donnie. I got, um, you know, I recently um, finished my coding final on Monday, that went better than expected. I would not recommend com- computer coding unless you're really into it. Uh, it's just like a really hard, like niche skill that a lot of people should have, like be because of the modern world, but it's very hard to do well. So, but now I guess I can put on my resume that I can write like a basic code that will like give you your tip at a restaurant. So that's about, that's about all I can do with coding. Um, but yeah, that went well. And then, you know, got a decent score on my finance exam that I didn't even really study for. Just kind of tried to get through that, but finished the class with like a B minus. So not, not too pressed. That's success. That's a W. Not too pressed. Um, and, uh, big law test tomorrow. So spent a lot of Wednesday working on that. What's your major? uh all kinds of different things uh communications journalism and then i'm getting a second major in uh english um like (laughs) he doesn't know what he's going to school before he's going to school like digital it's a weird new degree that they came up with it's like digital um more or less like digital analysis like taking taking pieces of work and like part of the reason they wanted us to go take this coding class is because it worked a little bit with like AI like sentiment analysis and that's basically when you put like a document through like a processor and say hey how many times does this word show up it's it's really kind of interesting stuff I would describe it as like quasi marketing a little bit and like PR too uh but also I just like English classes so it's English teaching slash digital 
English in the digital age or something like that. Okay. But I'm happy for you, Donnie, because you just uh, graduated today. I, I was and I was, I, I was going to do something stupid, like uh, I have this bottle of apple liqueur up here for some reason. I've We're been really, okay. into, We're okay. really into making Washington apples lately. Delicious cocktail. But uh, I thought, oh, I might do something funny and just like take a shot of apple liqueur to start the podcast. And then I opened the bottle and I realized, oh, yeah, this is apple liqueur and taking a shot of that would be vile. So, yes, that uh, would be awful. That would be so, a terrible <laughs> idea. So we're glad you didn't do that. So I did not do that. I am thinking smartly. I don't know if you guys have this, but my school got like emergency relief fund from the government and I applied for it and I got some of it. So that was nice. Uh, I'll get shit. I got I got a basically another stimmy, so that was cool. Congrats um, on the stimmy. Yeah. So, so what I'm what I'm gaining out of this is Eric doesn't even know what he's going to school for. Yeah, that's so that's collecting money, and Donnie is done with with college. So I mean, shout out to Donnie. But Eric, I'm thinking Eric's just like a complete fraud after that intro. Honestly. And you know the thing is, Eric <laughs> doesn't have to know exactly what he's doing because he provides us so much analysis. And I think we can just get right into <laughs> our first topic here, which I, I'm Eric told me before we started that he has takes on. So um, as we've seen, you know, with the new Omicron variant and everything, we have a lot of issues in in Okay, can I ask you a, a very legitimate question here? Hi. So sure. Omicron, we do that on this podcast. So yes, o- Omicron is a variant of COVID. Yes. Okay, so, so it's not a completely different disease because no. I was under the impression it was a completely different disease. So Eric, uh, uninformed as always, uh, no, that is not correct, um, <laughs> and that's okay. It is it is a variant of COVID. It is less um, less harsh on the body, but is much easier to spread. Um, so that's why we have all these COVID issues currently. Um, just I, I wanted to touch on this before we started to get in actual sports. Uh, we've had four NHL games postponed already. We've broken the record of most uh, players on the COVID list for a single day in the NHL. Uh, today, there were 61 and counting. There's more now. Kale McCarr just got put on, so I think we're up to 62. Um, we've seen in the NBA, multiple teams have basically fielded seven or eight-man rosters for multiple games, which is maybe not the biggest issue in the world considering teams don't usually use deep in the bench, but that could get really, really detrimental with injuries and everything. That could be very, very bad. And then the NFL is probably the worst of them all. As you know, we talked about before the podcast started, the Browns don't have a team. Basically we don't know who's going to play quarterback or uh, the backup running back wide receiver position. All of those guys. um, We have a lot of COVID issues in terms of COVID in general. And I'll start with RK just to get initial analysis here. If you were a commissioner of a professional professional sports league right now, what is your panic level, like a one to 10 panic level in terms of the future? And do you think shutdowns are potential? You think there's anything coming here? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you asked that because I feel like if you had asked me that, like even just like a day or two ago, I would probably be like, oh, you know, I, I don't really think that's that likely. But I mean, this week has been insane. It seems like all day there's just new players that continue to get added to the COVID protocols in various sports in various parts of the country. So obviously, you know, not a good sign when you're seeing it across multiple sports leagues and, uh, you know, across so many different teams. It's obviously not a situation where it's just like, oh, this team, you know, they kind of got lazy and you know a couple guys started spreading no it's it's you know all throughout different sports so yeah it's unfortunate but it definitely seems we're starting to get in that way a little bit 
Um, you know, the Montreal Canadiens today, uh, you know, decided that they didn't, were not going to have any fans attend their games. So, you know, when you hear something like that, you know, you just kind of wonder where is that kind of snowball effect going to go, uh, you know, further, obviously Canada has been, you know, among the more strict, uh, you know, in terms of how their handling of COVID has been so far to, to see them, you know, a, a team from Canada, you know, go towards that direction. It, it's got to make, you know, commissioners across sports wonder, Hey, are we going to have to deal with another shutdown? And I think that's something that everybody obviously wants to avoid but um, just given how things have kind of progressed over uh, you know the recent days um, it's definitely something that you know they have to take uh, you know into account. Uh, Eric do you have any thoughts other than that or do you want to just share your opinion on things so I think Eric in general and football fans in general are very very nervous and very very worried at the future considering it seems like it's just an absolute you know it for, for lack of a better word clusterfuck right now. Yeah I have well this is mainly true about everything to do with the NFL, but I have zero confidence in Roger Goodell's ability to do his job correctly. So um, yeah, I'm pretty worried because I think it's highly unlikely they will shut down on their own volition. I will say that. I think that's highly unlikely. I think they will do everything in their power to push this even if that means pushing the season back a week or two, pushing the Super Bowl back a week or two, like they will do everything in their power to like get this thing done by late February. Um, that being said, I think the league should legitimately look at these games like Raiders Browns and say, Hey, it's a massive competitive disadvantage to the Browns that their entire roster has COVID. And there's a pretty good chance that if things keep trending this way, somebody on the Raiders is going to get COVID from the Browns if you play a game against the Raiders. And then the Raiders are going to have problems. And then it's just a domino effect where you've got the whole league in crisis mode again. And yeah, I, it's just not a good time right now to be a, uh, a rational thinking human being, which I know there aren't many of us left in the United States when it comes to this virus, not to get political and all, but like, we're still like, we still as a nation can't agree on getting vaccinated, which could like have widely have prevented all this, but uh, yeah, I am. I'm. I'm pretty worried. I think that I was telling Donnie before. I think we have some kind of shutdown within one of the leagues before January seventeenth. We'll say that. I, yeah, I, I. I think we're trending towards that right now. See, I think that's really fair. And Arkan and I have talked about this a little bit uh, outside of the podcast. But even today, it's like they were a couple teams in the NHL that announced, "Hey, you know, we have a couple guys going to COVID list or." If you're looking like Calgary, Calgary's got 11 or 12 different players, uh, team staff members and all that. It gets to the point where it's like, why are these games being played like nothing's going on almost? It's like, obviously, in Montreal, we saw uh, tonight there's no crowd. There's nobody in attendance. So it's just an empty um, bubble-esque hockey game, which is not the move. It's not anything anybody wants. There's also a loss of revenue that's involved with all that. And again, it just it doesn't have the same feeling. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like – some really really like even worse than what we have already this is not anywhere near as bad as it could get realistically i think and i mean uh 
if you're going to do anything, how do you like parry against the fact that there's a loss of revenue? There's a lot of, um, you know, fans will be unhappy. Uh, sentiment of fans has been something that has been uh, up and down this year, as we've seen with attendance. It's like, it's going to be a real issue getting people to even go to games. If there are games, like if they even decide to host games in the first place. And like Ryan, one thing as a hockey fan, we know it's basically just up to the teams. Like if it just gets really bad, then that's when they do something. But like, wouldn't it be a better idea to just have a preventative measure to like, Hey, you know, we're going to take a week off reassess situations, strengthen our restrictions and everything. Maybe go back to a bubble situation for a couple weeks until things are figured out. Like wouldn't that make some sort of sense. Seems pretty logical. Yeah. Especially when you kind of outline it like that, Donnie, in terms of like teams are playing games where they don't even have full rosters and teams are playing games where they don't have fans. It's like, you know, I, I feel like they're just kind of hanging on like, well, we don't really want to postpone or cancel these games. They're really just trying to get anything they can. And, you know, once teams start playing without full rosters, it's kind of like, man, do we really need to be doing this? And, um, you know, I'm not sure what kind of that duration looks like. Obviously, the NHL already kind of has that pre-planned three-week period in February where the Olympics will be going on. And uh, it sure seems that the trend is towards NHL players not going to the Olympics, which is obviously, you know, a shame. But, um, you know, seems like in reality that may end up being the smart decision so maybe they're thinking hey we just want to get to that point and then we're going to get three weeks off maybe we can change the protocols but I'm not sure if they have the luxury to wait just given the fact of how things have really progressed over the last week yeah and as Eric mentioned a little bit before it's like uh you know you know leagues like the NFL are going to get all of their games and you know they're going to push the season back if they have to you know they're going to jam pack whatever they can because of the loss of revenue and I mean, obviously money is very important. There's no sports league without a, a significant amount of revenue and profit involved, but like, does it not get to the point where sports are like a little bit too important to some people? Whereas like, we're, we're kind of disregarding the whole public health thing again. I think that's fair. I mean, Baker Mayfield on Twitter today was very critical about how the NFL has handled things. He's like, Hey, if you guys really cared about player safety, you know, you wouldn't be making us play a game this weekend. So, I mean, it's clear that there's real kind of concern about that. You know, how much is it that they really care about player safety versus we're just trying to, you know, hang on as long as we possibly can to get these games in. So I think that's a very fair criticism. Yeah. Well, the, the unfortunate reality is we've just gone backwards. Like we are, Cases at this point in the country, I haven't seen any concrete numbers, but, you know, I'll be honest, I kind of got vaccinated and was one of these people that was like, oh, COVID's over, like, everything's all good now, and I kind of stopped worrying about it, like, I wear a mask on public transportation when I take it still, but, and when I'm out in, like, crowded public areas like the grocery store and things like that, but other than that, I'm not really, you know, super into that anymore and, and, and all that stuff. But now, like, my barometer has been sports, and it felt like we were really quiet for a while. And now it's back to, like, oh, yeah, this is a real thing that's really impacting these. And if it's happening within these leagues, like, it's happening on a large scale in our country. And it feels like we are heading towards a, another kind of point where I'm starting to wonder if like halfway through my spring semester, we're not, I'm, I'm scheduled to have all in-person classes again. Like I kind of am thinking like, there's no way that happens. Like we're going to, at some point things are going to shut down on a whole grand scale again. I just feel like that's something that's, that's coming down the pipe here. 
but I know that's yeah. not super sports related. So apologies for wasting that five well, minutes of time. You're you're on topic, and that's all we're looking for. As you mentioned, concrete numbers. If you want them, we had over two hundred thousand cases yesterday. New cases of COVID. A lot of them mild, considering people are vaccinated. And today we had another hundred forty-five thousand. Um, these numbers are legitimate. They're serious. And I mean, if you do use sports as a barometer, which I definitely do in terms of understanding where the country is in a certain situation like COVID. Um, yeah, it's it's as bad as it's ever been in terms of uh, sports when they're live and everything. Obviously, we didn't have sports last year when, um, you know, things were bad, although start of 2021, things were very, very poor again. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting to watch. And I, I don't necessarily question the whole a month from now is everything going to be the same are we still going to be riding through sports and I, I don't think so eric doesn't think so and i mean even rk just the last comment on here you think by the middle january we could see multiple leagues if not all the leagues like be like hey you know either like super strong restrictions or just you know we're going to take a couple weeks off and reassess right yeah, if not even sooner. I mean, just given the fact that when you see, you know, I'm sure even by the time this podcast gets released, there's going to be even more players that are put into the COVID protocols. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, pretty, you know, real time, pretty, you know, dramatic in terms of how things have progressed, you know, that it could be even, you know, before the end of the month that some leagues are forced into making some, uh, you know, more impactful decisions. So, um, you know, we'll see how things unfold. It's hard to kind of put an exact timetable on it. I, I think the NHL is kind of an interesting one just because they already have those three weeks off for the Olympics. But um, I definitely think that, you know, we're trending in that direction. And uh, one more thing before we close this topic, if people in the United States who want kind of a barometer on if sports leagues are going to shut down or not, pay very close attention over this Christmas break that we're going into, not to a single American sports league, but look at the European soccer leagues because there is a very real, I know that this, uh, I wanted to get soccer in here somehow, and it, it just kind of came up naturally, which is nice. I know Ryan doesn't really track it, yeah. so, um, but Ryan, let me just tell you, the European soccer leagues, they've been very, like, upfront, very cautious as far as COVID's gone. They were really the first leagues to kind of shut down around the world, and then they were the first to come back with the heaviest restrictions because Europe has reacted to it a lot different than America has. If things get bad in Europe and leagues start to shut down over there, they'll be the first ones to shut down. Like the Premier League over the past few weeks has had some very serious case problems as well. And I kind of think they may shut down over the Christmas break. And that's that's kind of the sense I get from listening to like the soccer podcasts I do from English journalists and things like that. Yeah, it's yeah. good perspective. And just to add on that before we move on to football, there's been postponements all week. There's been three or four games postponed already this week. And, I mean, it's like they don't play that much soccer in the Premier League. So that is, uh, you know, worrisome for sure. But I think we can move on from this uh, good discussion on the realities of the world uh, around us into some more, you know, pleasurable, interesting, and fun topics in terms of college football. We saw the Heisman, um, Heisman voting, and it was not – really out of what we expected rk and i talked about this yeah there was probably not much of a um, fight for anybody except bryce young which is uh you know is that crazy uh we talked about a little bit obviously uh, some love to defensive players and other quarterbacks but we, we pretty much expected this um 
Eric, we'll start with you here. In terms of college football, would you have liked to see anybody else get a little bit more love in the Heisman race, or was this something that was kind of just like, yeah, you know, uh, this is reasonable to me? Yeah, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, people are really high on him. Um, A defensive player just isn't going to win the Heisman, though. I think this is more kind of a reality of what the Heisman is, which is not necessarily – the best player in college football, but the best quarterback or skill position player in college football. Um, Because this was kind of the year to give it to a defensive player. Like Bryce Young wasn't consistently lights out all the way through the season. He had a few up and down moments, but so did everyone that got voted in as a finalist, really. Um, But do I have a huge problem with it? No, I I, kind of saw this coming like, if it's a close race and you've got all these people there, just give it to the Alabama quarterback. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, congrats to him. Uh, he was arguably the best quarterback in the league this year. I liked CJ Stroud a little bit more, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't have many major complaints about it. RK. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I think what Eric said is true. I think the best player in college football actually finished fifth in the Heisman voting. That would be Will Anderson, Alabama's defensive end, who led the nation in sacks and tackles for losses. So, I mean, I thought he had an incredible year. And, um, you know, he's just a sophomore. So I think to Eric's point in terms of the Heisman is just an award that goes to like the skill player, the quarterback. It, a lot of times, unfortunately, you know, sometimes the writers and the voters are not always, you know, the most diehard college football fans and, and people that are, you know, in tune with how defensive end and linemen are playing rather than they're just seeing an Alabama game like, oh, Bryce Young, you know, anytime a quarterback gets a snap, it's pretty obvious who the quarterback is, even if they're not necessarily playing that great. So, um, you know, I think Bryce Young was definitely very deserving. I mean, I mean, his ball placement on a lot of deep balls this year to Jamison Williams and John Mechie were incredible especially in his first full year starting and yeah he had his up and down moments but you know I thought he really kind of came through in a lot of big time games for Alabama this year especially that Auburn game leading that drive at the end of that game and then of course great play in the SEC title game against Georgia who had looked as good as anybody in college football this year so definitely nothing against Bryce Young and uh, you know his ability but in my opinion I thought Will Anderson was the best player I saw in college football this year so for him to finish fifth really just kind of goes to Eric's point in terms of it's a quarterback award seeing Kenny Pickett and CJ Stroud both finish ahead of him uh not too terribly surprising yeah um I I saw a lot of people complaining about the statistics of you know Kenny Pickett had more touchdowns and all that but it's like come on guys like you know he give love to Jordan Addison he led the nation in touchdowns he had 18 it's like you know you know Kenny Pickett he goes to Pitt you know there's there's little to no chance that he's going to win it over an Alabama quarterback that that plays like that especially because Alabama quarterbacks are not necessarily that successful in this award voting usually so um, an interesting aspect there. We broke it down last week. Nobody was surprised. Um, we can move on to something we did omit last week because we had a long recording of a lot of topics. Um, my father's alumni, the team that I root for in college football, the Miami Hurricanes, um, first off fired Manny Diaz, and then he immediately went to Penn State, which was interesting considering I didn't anticipate him having this much luck in terms of maybe like getting one of the more high quality jobs in terms of a coordinator job in college football. I mean, like if you do well at Penn state, your opportunities are endless and they replaced him with uh, on another just massive contract signing college football, massive coach contract, uh, Mario Cristobal from Oregon, which is, um, you know, alumni 
from South Florida, you know, pretty much saved the recruiting class already. Uh, they had a, a very, very nice early signing day. Um, I think they had the sixth best class in terms of quality all, all around. Obviously the quantity is not necessarily there because the guy has been recruiting for eight days. Uh, but that, that's a big step forward. Eric, as somebody who watches a little bit more pack football than I do, what are your thoughts just in general on this? First off, do you think Oregon is as, you know, somebody who has watched Oregon lose to a team that you root for? Um, do, do you feel as if Mario Cristobal deserves to get paid the, the amount of money that he did and he uh, is the right fit in a Miami team that hasn't really had a logistic? I mean, like logistically speaking, Miami has had pretty much bums as their, their head coach for the last decade or so. Is, is this the hire that's going to save Miami or are we still putting them with Texas in the, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe three or four years down the line? Well, I'll just tell you what Mario Cristobal is. He's an SEC coach, basically. He believes that you win on the offensive and defensive line, and he is just a monster recruiter. Like, he is one of the best recruiters in the entire country. Like, he was flipping guys from, like, Georgia to Oregon, basically, uh, on a regular basis. Um so I think he can sell Miami, especially with NIL. So I think that'll work out for him. Um, what happened at the end of this year, what happened really just at the end of this year was that I think he saw that Miami job coming. That became kind of a distraction. And he also misevaluated his transfer quarterback, Anthony Brown, and they showed up to play a Utah team that was better coached and had a better quarterback and ended up losing to them twice. But that's not an indictment on Oregon. They still had an okay year. Um, I think that this will be a good hire. Do I think that next year we're going to be talking about Miami as a college football playoff team? No, I think it takes more time than that unless your name is Lincoln Riley basically to transform a team um you know mario cristobal is not lincoln riley uh and he's not brian kelly but he's like a tear down from that i think and i think ultimately he'll be good for miami and i'm happy for you because it kind of sucks that your college football team is an embarrassment to you every single year. So, yeah. See, before I get RK's thoughts, we talk about this frequently, and it is so depressing watching football. Even Eric, Eric's got the spiel from me this year with the Broncos. It's like watching bad or mediocre or underwhelming football it, it, with all like the little mistakes. It's like RK and I talk about um, like muff punts and stuff like that, which Miami had quite a few uh, mistakes this year that cost them multiple games that in reality, you know, maybe they should have been an ACC title game team regardless um but yeah it's interesting and i think but before i just push forward to rk here i think chris ball made a great move considering you know they're not going to compete with usc i don't think anybody's going to compete with usc for a while out there considering um i, I know I, i'm sure both of you follow along with the recruiting class a little bit but it seems like lincoln Riley flipped about a dozen players just like in like three or four days which is really really scary that somebody can have that much allegiance to one coach and what the coach is doing and decide, Hey, you know, we're, we're going USC. Um, RK, just in general, did Cristobal move because he thought, Oh, the pass to be really harder. Did he move because of the money or did he move because of Miami or just a big mixture of these things? 
I feel like he moved just because that was like home for him. You know, like, as you mentioned, Donnie, you know, he's from Miami. He played at Miami. He won championships at Miami. He was an assistant coach at Miami. You know, he's just got a lot of familiarity with kind of that area and kind of to Eric's point too, you know, did an unbelievable job recruiting and, you know, you see it at the top of drafts, Penny Sewell, the top offensive lineman last year, Kayvon Thibodeau, one of the top defensive linemen in their class this year. So, uh, you know, he's done an outstanding job, won two Pac-12 championships while he was at Oregon as well. So, had the on-field success and also did a nice job in terms of his player development. So I think it's going to be a nice fit for Miami and, you know, kind of to Eric's point too, it's going to take a little bit of time for you to kind of, you know, get accustomed to things, but I think maybe he's kind of hitting it at a right time, you know, after, uh, you know, Clemson had, you know, for their standards, a down year, even, you know, nine wins. I know a lot of teams would take that, but for their standards, you know, trying to win national titles every year, but they just lost both of their coordinators as well, both offensive and defensive coordinators leaving Dabo Sweeney's staff. So maybe kind of a nice opportunity now for Cristobal to head over to Miami and, uh, you know, kind of fill that void. I think you were thinking you were going to get a little bit out of that, obviously with Manny Diaz and uh, even with Rick, when he was the coach there uh, coming over from Georgia, you had kind of hoped that they would be able to do that, had one 10 win year, but wasn't able to sustain that quality of play so you know I, I wasn't necessarily too huge a fan when Cristobal got to Oregon but I think his success really kind of speaks for itself and you know interested to see how it plays out at the U. Yeah I'm excited and my dad's excited he's back watching every single Miami YouTube podcast or, or whatever's going on just to see what's which is a good sign considering you know usually it's um gloom and despair in, in the household and when it comes to Saturday football uh but we can move on to Sunday football and, you know, just go over last week a little bit. Uh, obviously, uh, football is really weird still. It just doesn't make any sense to me for, for the most part. Some teams um, really go out there and play well one week, and then the next week they look absolutely awful. Uh, one team that had a very, very bad skit early in the year, and Eric was basically writing off uh, as the Kansas City Chiefs, um, being, being back to what the Kansas City Chiefs are, they are now steamrolling every team they play, not only offensively but defensively. Uh, last week, they beat the Raiders by about 30, 39, 40 points, um, which is college football type numbers. Well, Eric, go, go guess, ahead, Eric. Let I me guess, know. I guess you say all oh, the Chiefs are back to being the Chiefs. Sure, if you mean the Chiefs are, are, are being like a completely new team, because the explosive plays, like if you look at the metrics, still aren't there. And if you watch the games, the explosive plays aren't there. They're a completely different team. Now I'll give you credit. Yes, they're steamrolling teams, but it's for entirely different reasons. It's not Patrick Mahomes. If you look at his stats over the past few weeks, they've been totally middle of the road. And what, you know, what's been winning them the games is a dominant offensive line, which they worked really hard to improve this off season Two really good running backs in Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Elair, and a defense that is, quite frankly, playing like the best in the league right now. Um, maybe the Cowboys have a, more of a claim to that, but I think purely from who can stop teams from scoring, it's the Chiefs right now. And it's really been that way for about the past six or seven weeks, and they've found new ways to win but they're not the explosive offense they used to be. They've had to adapt a little bit. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I still think that they're an AFC contender. I think it's them and the Patriots and then everyone else in the AFC. But, you know, the big plays are still not there for them. And Patrick Mahomes 
is not really playing like an MVP right now. Like he's, he's playing like a fine middle of the road quarterback. I, I would not say he's a top 10 passer right now. I would say he's just outside that range kind of where Joe Burrow and uh, some of these other guys are because he's, he's just been a little bit mediocre for the past six weeks. And that's not to say he'll be this way forever, but he just hasn't been what he has been over the past few years. It's, it's just a different look with the chiefs, but I agree that they're very good. RK, do you agree that Patrick Mahomes is not a top 10 quarterback currently this year? Uh, and if not, why? Yeah. I mean, this was something Eric and I actually talked about on the end zone pod about our thoughts on Mahomes, but I mean, I'm willing to give Patrick Mahomes the benefit of the doubt in this situation. I mean, but you put I still him at think 10. he's doing his job in terms of who generating are, enough offense for the Chiefs. Maybe you're talking about the explosive plays, but you always have the threat of it with the personnel that they throw out there, with the speed they have on the outside, with both Hardman and Hill. You, you have to account for it. I think defenses realize that, you know, I'm sure they got to play two safeties a lot of times because if you go one-on-one with Tyreek Hill, middle of the field close, you're in trouble. So teams are obviously well aware at this point that Kansas City's trying to generate those explosive plays. So that opens up things like the run game and the underneath passing game. So, you know, they're just doing what they do. I don't have too big of a concern with the Chiefs, especially in a year like this where, you know, they're competing with teams like New England. And yeah, they already lost to Tennessee earlier this year. But I think in a playoff situation, Kansas City would still be able to take on Tennessee and, you know, give them as good of a game as anyone else could in the AFC. So I think they're really kind of rolling right now at this point wasn't too surprised to see him kind of roll over the Raiders who had been really struggling as of late so um, I think Kansas City is going to continue to roll and uh, you know be as tough a team to knock out in the AFC as you're going to find so Eric I just want to come back to you real quick Uh, can you name me a couple quarterbacks that you would say have had a better year than Patrick Mahomes because I know there's definitely a couple Tom Brady is one that you can nobody's really going to argue with Um, Stafford is probably another one although he's had similar issues he's got a ton of touchdowns, mostly Cooper Cup related. Uh, Kyler Justin Murray. Herbert, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, guys like that. Josh Allen, you know, inconsistent at times. But I think that you may over uh, just just slightly exaggerate the fact that he's not been a top 10 quarterback this year, considering he's. Okay, maybe he's 10. I think he's maybe. top five in, in like every relevant statistic that you need, other than completion percentage this year. Um, which, which well, I can name five quarterbacks better than Patrick Mahomes. No, I mean, uh, maybe this right, year, I think that's fair, but sure. Right now, because like I would say, Tom would you rather Brady, have Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, that's Kyle who we Murray, talked about, Donnie, Justin Herbert. I, I may have, you know, listened a little bit. Um, Kirk Cousins, what are your thoughts? Uh, my man, Kirk Cousins, having the best year of his career, basically. I it's think like that wild. Kirk Cousins has by and large had the best season of his career, but that doesn't mean I think he's better than Patrick Mahomes. I, I am one person who does not like Kirk Cousins very much, and I have not been a fan of Kirk Cousins throughout his entire career, basically. But I, I am willing to give Kirk Cousins the benefit of the doubt that he does not look as bad as usual. Um, yeah, he's playing good football. So claps to him, obviously. And we can give um, we can move on here and give claps to another quarterback who owns the Bears in Aaron Rodgers. Again, just another just what you expect performance. Uh, it looked dicey for like maybe a second there. It was an interesting start to the game. Um and maybe whoever said, oh, well, this is the one we're going to put on TV. At halftime, they were like, yeah, this, this is good stuff. Um, but then Green Bay basically dominated the second half and reminded you know, Chicago, hey, it's, it's not that easy for you. Um, just a question for either of you. I guess I can start with RK here. Is Green Bay the best team in the NFC? And if not, who is? 
Uh, is Green Bay a top three team in the league for you? What are you thinking with Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, I think the NFC has a little bit more kind of firepower at the top when you consider, obviously, you have Tampa Bay, who's playing pretty good right now, and as well as the top two teams in the NFC West, you really got Arizona and the Rams, who also played again this weekend. But, I mean, Green Bay is right up there, you know, at the top when you consider the fact that they have two really good running backs. They've got a solid receiving core, obviously led by Demonte Adams, who's one of the best in the NFL. And, you know, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback playing, you know, very solid as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think that Green Bay is, you know, right up there. And I think that, you know, especially if they're able to kind of finish off the year strong and they can host some of these playoff games in Lambeau, you know, that's going to kind of give them a little bit of an edge over, you know, these teams who are, you know, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Los Angeles, you know, bring them down to Lambeau Field, put them in the snow, see how they do. And I think Green Bay would uh, would definitely give them a fair fight. So, um, but yeah, kind of to your point, not a surprise in terms of like, this is how Packers and Bears games play out. Like, I mean, it, it like, oh, the Bears, they're coming to play this time. And then second half comes around and they really start to kind of hammer it on them. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Green Bay is, you know, right up there with kind of those other three teams uh, at the top of the NFC. Yeah, and Eric, just to move over to you real quickly, I just want to read a couple of tweets that you had during the game to uh, develop your your analysis. Uh, <laughs> you tweeted at Big Cat that the Bears were back. Uh, then you asked, "What is I, happening?" I, in I, I said, "I said, what's Bear question mark with that?" There was tweet? a question mark at the end. Bears that are back? Question mark. Clearly a troll. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you tweeted, "Green Bay hash, uh, Green Bay equals in deep trouble." In which I responded. You need to stop tweeting irrational thoughts that pop in your head when a team is losing a football game. Um, and then that team ended up going on a, a ridiculous run in the second half and making the Bears look like the Bears yet again. Eric, is Green Bay in deep trouble? No. What, was ha- what was happening in Lambeau? No, I thought for a moment they might be. But uh, no, I, I do like to tweet irrational things. <laughs> that checks That's out. very apparent. Oh, we know. <laughs> we know. Um, that checks know, out. I, I just... Sometimes I go on Twitter in the middle of football just to see what Eric has tweeted. And I know I can count on at least like six to eight tweets, depending on what time of the day it is. And at least two or three of those tweets will be semi-questionable. And that's what makes Eric such a great Twitter follower, because it reminds you that there are people out there that think just like how Eric does. Eric is so recency bias related with his tweets that like absolutely 100 it's, it's the best thing in the world. It might be it's like reactionary. He's a very reactionary Twitter. Very and reactionary. It's a good time. Um, one more game that I decided to touch on, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ignore Tampa Buffalo because I just thought it was such a, such a mediocre showing that ended up being an overtime game because Josh Allen decided, oh, the fourth quarter, this is my, this is my, this is my time. This is me. I thought this that was a pretty good game. It was a but... great game in reality, but like it shouldn't have been a great game because they basically uh, Buffalo handed ended, Tampa. Ended how we thought it would. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo handed Tampa such a, a a strong start. They gave them the lead, and then at halftime it was twenty four three, and you're thinking, oh, like this one's over. And then Buffalo got a little bit of you know that they had fun for a second. Josh Allen had four hundred yards. He ended up pushing it to overtime just for Tom Brady to carve them up. Um, throughout Find the a game. wide and open for Sean Perriman gets a sixty yard touchdown. Zone. You know, if Rashad Berryman touches the ball past the ten yards, past ten yards from where you're snapping, it, it's probably not a good idea. He's fast um, though. He's I'll say that. Speedy man, you know, can't can't hate that. But I want to touch on two teams that we have already discussed in the Rams and, and the Arizona Cardinals in a game where, I, just coming in, you know, my perspective was, oh, this is probably an Arizona game. You know, it, it'll be close, but I think the Cardinals have it, and it looked like for a second there we were going to get a, a very very quality game at halftime. It was tied. And then the Rams decided in the third quarter, like, hey, like, we need to win this game. It's as crucial that we win this as any if we want to, you know, win the NFC and compete. Um, 
just in general, I think this will end up being a, a game that we could potentially see again. I wouldn't be shocked if this ended up being um, a, a playoff matchup. And it's scary to me that the Rams have so many weapons that they can like be like, oh yeah, Odell Beckham's got COVID. And then it's like, oh, Van Jefferson, more, more targets for Van Jefferson. It's, it's like a scary reality that we have allowed multiple teams in the league with Tampa uh, that has 17 different receivers that could get thrown the ball. And now the Rams have all these weapons and even Arizona, like they lose Hopkins and we're still thinking like, oh, you know, it's like Christian Kirk's fine. Like AJ Green's on the team. Um, in terms of these two teams and just the game in general, what did you learn from this game? If anything, and uh, is there any like significant difference between the two? Are we taking Arizona? Are we taking the Rams? RK at this point of the season, who you got between the two? Yeah, I think like all year I've been a little bit higher on the Rams than I have the Cardinals. I think I like their star power a little bit more. And I think at this point now, you know, it took them a little time after they lost Robert Woods. I know Cooper Cup's been, you know, their guy all year and he's been one of the best receivers in football. But, you know, I think Robert Woods really kind of complimented him well. And it took a little bit of time for kind of Van Jefferson to kind of grow in his role a little bit. And uh, now, obviously, with the addition of Odell Beckham, he's starting to find himself in the end zone a little bit more often as well. So, uh, you know, the Rams, they're dealing with COVID a lot right now. And, uh, you know, we'll see, obviously. But, you know, assuming they're able to get their guys back for playoff time, I think that the Rams are, you know, the team to beat for me in, in the NFC just because, um, you know, I think they've been there a little bit and, and Sean McVay does a nice job. And, you know, Matt Stafford, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of some of the quarterback breakdown, but had some unbelievable throws in this game that, um, you know, really kind of left you thinking, wow, like he can really kind of find these guys deep downfield and be an effective, uh, you know, passer for the Rams overall. So, um, you know, it was a really good game, a good bounce back. Obviously the Cardinals got them earlier this season in LA. So, um, you know, for the Rams to get them at the end of the year, I thought that was a good sign for them. Eric thoughts, what you got for me? Yeah, I think the NFL, a lot of it is when are you playing your best football? And I need to see a little bit more from the Rams, but if they can keep this up, they're coming on at the right time uh, because you want to be playing your best football in December. I think it took a little while for Odell Beckham to get uh, situated. I think Van Jefferson is just new age to Sean Jackson. He's a fantastic deep threat. Um, I think the defense is coming together. Von Miller was great for them in that game, and Aaron Donald had a monster game, obviously. Doesn't change a ton about how I feel about the Cardinals. Uh, the DeAndre Hopkins injury changes what I think about them a little bit, but not a ton. I think that ultimately the Cardinals are going to be a playoff team that's just about a year away from being really a Super Bowl team, but I think they'll get to the playoffs and at least win a game. I think that's fair. And I think that's kind of where we've put them, uh, like a team that's maybe not ready to win at all, but a team that if they did make a run and like end up winning a couple of games in the playoffs, it wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Um, I think we can finally move on to a topic that I know Eric has opinions on, and that's Urban Meyer. Um, it's been a very chaotic couple of months for Urban Meyer, which you would have expected when hired. But not in Jacksonville. You think, you know, Jacksonville, he can be tame-ish a little bit at the time of hiring. I saw there were people that were actually, like, excited about this, thinking, like, this guy could maybe turn around a Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. Um, he's actually done a whole lot of the same for Jacksonville. It looks like nobody liked him. Um, he was kicking the kicker in, in practice, which is just ridiculous. How does that even – how how do you um, – Before a game. Yeah, yeah. It's the most absurd thing I've heard. Um, 
outside of the fact that he's, you know, messing with other women at, at bars, it's just, it's odd. First off, well, you just say, had to get his mojo back. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, Urban Meyer, first off, what's next for Urban Meyer? Like, obviously, this was a terrible tenure. Like, does he end up on TV? Is he coaching somewhere? I personally don't think that he ever gets a job coaching football again after this. You know, this is like the third or fourth tomfoolery that he's had in his career. I think we have to get over the tomfoolery at some point. Yeah, I mean, everyone says, like, college is like, oh, Texas has no morals. They'll hire him. That's fine. You could hire Urban Meyer. But my, my larger point is this. If you're a college kid right now or a high school kid, let's imagine you're a high school kid. Let's imagine you're like a four-star sophomore high school prospect and a four or five-star. And you're playing high school football and you follow football just on the periphery because you play football, so you like football, so you pay attention to it. If you're a high schooler and you see a coach doing this, like, and you see all this play out, like, if that coach comes and sits down in your living room in a year, how are you going to take him seriously? Like if he's talking to you about, Hey, you need to be like a hundred percent committed and I'm going to expect the very best from you day and day, day in and day out. And you're going to have to put up with my BS and me being, you know, strict to you because we're going to win titles. How, how can you, you look at that and say one, like, if I was in that situation, I'd tell Urban Meyer to his face. I'd laugh in his face, number one, and I'd be like, <laughs> like, dude, number one, you didn't win in the NFL, so you clearly don't have a pedigree in that degree. You So you can't help get me ready for the NFL because if you couldn't win in the NFL or conduct yourself professionally there, how am I ever going to pick up the habits to get there myself? Two, you're a total distraction to your team and everything that you just told me you couldn't do yourself. So why would I ever listen to you in that retrospect? And then three, the Josh Lambeau story really dooms him because what parent is going to put their kid in that position? Like you're sitting in front of moms and dads from kids in a lot of cases that don't have good backgrounds growing up and are trying to send their kids to school to give them a better life. And you just and you find out that this guy is abusing his players verbally and physically like you're not going to put up with that. Like, how can you ever give this guy a job? He has no credibility. He's a total loser. And he, he, he just like, how could you ever give this guy a job? Like, I, I don't know if anyone did. I would be massively disappointed in that. Yeah. RK thoughts. So, so I actually maybe disagree with Eric on this one. And I think that, first off, Urban Meyer, obviously, this did not go well in Jacksonville, not going off on any limb to say that. You know, he made his fair share of mistakes, obviously calling your own coaching staff losers. Uh, you hired them, so uh, maybe hire winners next time. I don't understand that. Obviously, he was just frustrated that he didn't have Rutgers on the schedule and a free win, uh, you know, on the schedule. Like, I mean, he was a college coach, and, you know, he's used to playing, you know, a lot of teams that, you know, did not have nearly the quality of athletes that his teams did. So, uh, you know, he didn't have any of those kind of free passes, um, you know, a bad team he was acquiring. He just saw they got Trevor Lawrence and was like, well, maybe. And obviously that's not how things pan out. So, you know, rough situation for him either. But it's not unprecedented for a guy who had a ton of success in college, go to the NFL and fail and then go back to college for a program of struggling. And the guy I'm thinking of is Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly went 
to, you know, obviously I had a success in college at Oregon, went to the Eagles, had some success with the Eagles, I will acknowledge, but then dealt with players accusing him of being racist. Like that's a very bad thing to have happen. And then now he's coaching at UCLA and recruiting kids and, you know, having a little bit of success there. So I don't think it's that crazy to say that urban Meyer will find himself back in a situation where he's, you know, on the sideline of a solid school in division one college football, uh, you know, even in the near future. So I don't think it's going to happen next season, but it's definitely something I could see happening. You know, again, I think he's, you know, proven enough that he's had success at the college level, that another school will give him a chance after they win, you know, five games and, uh, you know, all their boosters are really mad. So I think Urban Meyer will find himself coaching again in college, but obviously, you know, his time in professional football is definitely done. It seemed like a lot of players were very critical of him for how they treated him, you know, just in terms of being adults, like, you know, coaching guys that are between the ages of 18 and 22 is a lot different than, you know, professionals. So uh, I think that's maybe where he kind of faltered a little bit, but I definitely think he will be coaching again uh, in college football. Which is so unfortunate of a reality that this is the world that we can live in because a guy is. See, I would agree with you if the Josh Lambeau stuff doesn't happen. And if more comes out on that, like if that can be definitively proved, which I'm sure there's video out there somewhere. It's a preseason game. Like if that footage ever were to come out or like, even like he, he assaulted a player. Like, I, I don't understand how you could hire that if you're a university president. I don't well, know. So I just, I just want to come back to the fact that we talked about Deshaun Watson a couple months ago, and you said that he could have very well got a, a job as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Do you not feel like it's like some a similar situation? Obviously, a, a totally different uh, accusation. Uh, Deshaun Watson still has all these pending charges against him, uh, whereas Urban Meyer is just a, a noted scumbag who who assaulted a player, and that was the part of the reason he got fired. But like, have we not stooped low enough to where an Urban Meyer type guy will get a job? It's like we see guys like Kareem Hunt in the NFL every week who has a terrible pass. Michael Vick came back in the league and played for multiple years. It's like, it's a sad reality, but I think it shows like football is a very, very, like, we don't really care what's going on as long as we're winning type of sport. Um, and I, I personally think, and, and I talked about this with my dad a little bit, we think TV is probably the, the option for him. He'll end up back where he was because he was on TV for a split second there in between multiple jobs. But like, if Urban See, Meyer- I don't know up, about that. I think he needs to disappear for a little while. But I agree with Eric on that. If he, uh, do you think it's going to happen, though? going to get another coaching. Will he's he like disappear? an egomaniac. I think he's he'll insane. disappear. I think he's smart enough to disappear because that's how he'll get another coaching job. Well, yeah. forget about Urban Meyer and maybe in like four years he'll get a coaching mm-hmm. I, I, saw under. <laughs> I saw a tweet today about how his Urban Meyer's daughter is vowing war against the Jacksonville Jaguars and that they're going to protest. and they're. It, it just... I don't think they're going anywhere, and I think that that's something that we will touch on again in a couple weeks. Um, you know, obviously, some good talk about Urban Meyer there. It's going to be very interesting to see where that goes. I have no idea. I don't think anybody really knows what Urban Meyer is up to next. Uh, but we can shift over to the NHL and talk about Eric's favorite hockey team, um, the Colorado Avalanche. Currently, have won five straight going into tonight. They're they're in a tight game against Nashville, but um, twenty eight goals over five games. They just basically uh, they made the Rangers like look pretty poor in both games, uh, especially the first one where they won 7-3, but uh, a 4-2 loss for the Rangers in the second one, both with backup goaltenders, but still the Avalanche look like they're back, and Eric no longer has to sit on Twitter and complain and cry and think, 
oh, are the abs not serious? Because there, there were some some abs panic tweets from Eric, and I can't even remember him sending me, um, you know, he, he sent me a, a text saying, you know, this abs team, should I be worried? Should I be? And Eric, at this point, should you be worried? Listen, you lose to the Senators in December, you get worried. Okay. It's a, it, the sport of hockey just allows you to lose regular season games to bad teams, and it's okay. Like, RK, you watched the Blackhawks for all these years. They didn't always beat up on the Buffalo Sabres. They didn't always beat every team they played. It's like, you know, occasionally you're going to lose some, to some bad teams every once in a while. It's fine. Yeah, that's just kind of the nature of hockey. It's not like it's college football and you're Alabama and you lose on the road at Texas A&M and you're like, oh, my God, we're not as good as we always are. You know, you lose games in, in hockey. It's a random sport. So the abs are good. I mean, we knew it. It's not too big of a surprise. I mean, they've got such a loaded, uh, you know, skater group in terms of their defense and forward depth. And they've got a lot of guys that are playing outstanding, you know, outside of their studs on the top. Nazem Kadri is fourth in the league in points. Kadri, Found the Shushkin's been unreal for them. And, uh, you know, they've had a lot of production. Burakovsky's had some really good games recently as well. This guy, Nazem Kadri, has more points than Artemi Panarin, Austin Matthews, Steven Stamkos, Kyle Connor, John Tim- How is this ha- – why is oh. Nazem Kadri – Okay, mid-question like- mid, mid for you, Donny. Kadri, pending free agent after this year, what's his AAV? Uh, you know, He's, he's making 6.8 mil a year. Like, I, don't I think know. it's going to be much more than that. You know, so Eric, you know, Nazem Kadri, his last year with the Avalanche, if we're calling it here, because they're definitely not paying him 10 mil a year to play. I think it um, could be like nine. <laughs> in terms of what you've seen with the abs, first off, obviously you had worries with the goaltending a little bit here and there. And as we, we've mentioned this, you know, they picked up that Johansson kid who was very, very not good. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he's on the team anymore. I think he's been shifted off to some uh, third world country, basically, in terms Indeed. of the NHL teams, yep. unfortunately. Um, no more worries on the goaltending, no more worries on the scoring. Is everything feeling like back to normal as hockey here? Or are we still a little panic mode? Well, I'm not saying I'm not worried about the goaltending because Darcy Kemper butts in like two to three, like have those go in goals like every time he plays hockey. So, uh, nope, still pretty worried about the goaltending, but I think that the scoring cannot weigh the goaltending. It's really the same, you know. I shouldn't be so panicked. You're right. But it really does all come down to what happens in May and not what happens in December. So um, if you're asking me, am I worried about the abs in December? No. Am I worried about this lasting all the way through May and being perfect and the depth showing up for four rounds of playoff hockey? Yes. I am still not sold on that just because I've been, I've seen it too many times where this they ball out in the regular season and then they just fall apart in the postseason so we'll see the good news about needing a goalie this year is you can get Mark andre Fleury for a second round pick in February so that's the good news about being a team who's really good and needing a goalie and that is an option that I would say the Avs will be fully in on either getting a backup goaltender that can stay healthy and exist which is something the Avs have really had issues with the last couple of years or picking up a starter I as somebody who has you know been up and down on flurry for the last couple of years there are some very very high highs and there are very very low lows with him um Eric before we move on here if the abs got Marc-Andre Fleury would you be happy or would you be unhappy because we've had some discussions about Marc-Andre Fleury in the past you know I like Marc-Andre Fleury a lot he is very up and down last year I thought he was one of the best goaltenders in the league I stand by that he won the best um, <laughs> Like I stand by that, but this year has been up and down, but he's had moments. 
I think it all depends on the surroundings around him. I think you put him on a bad team, he's going to be bad. I think you put him on a good team, he's going to be good. Because uh, Vegas had a very good defense score, and he showed up, and he was good. Chicago's defense score is eh, not bad, but, you know. It's bad. It's just pretty <laughs> bad at this point. <laughs> pretty bad, I guess. Uh, and he lets in a lot of goals. But yeah, I, I think fair. that, like, I don't think you can point at a lot of goalies with bad situations and say, hey, it's your fault. Hey, you're still really good unless you're like John Gibson. So, Which is something that the NHL community and hockey Twitter in general has a lot of issues with. Hockey fans in general, I think the finger pointed is almost always at the goaltender. Um, you know, RK, you, you didn't have to deal with it much because Corey Crawford was very consistent. I didn't have to deal with it much because Henrik Lundqvist was very consistent. But there are teams like, say, when Minnesota ends up losing in the first round of the playoffs because Cam Talbot lets in 17 goals over four games. Um you're going to see a lot of fingers pointed at him where it's not necessarily his fault. Maybe like just a team that doesn't have the depth. Uh, I think we can move on and just talk about the NHL really hasn't changed this year. It's been a whole lot of the same since basically the start. We haven't had any like resurgent random teams other than like maybe Anaheim, which will almost certainly not stick around, although they are fun to watch with all the youngins. But like, is it weird to see like we're 30 games in and the season standings are looking a lot like they have, have for the last like, months month and a half two months at this point like the top teams like uh you know it, it pains me to say it but like minnesota is playing well toronto florida washington calgary have been playing well and teams have been playing well all year here it's like if you can keep this going until like let's say the halfway mark like are you considered a legitimate t- contender or rk are we still thinking the minnesota wild probably not going to do it for us this year yeah, I mean, obviously, as Eric kind of talked about with the Avs, you know, how you're playing in December is a lot different than how you're playing in the springtime when, you know, we're playing best of seven series for four in a row. So uh, you mentioned Anaheim. I think that's one team for me that, you know, hey, the, the fact that they're hanging around they're at this moment, you know, top of the Pacific Division, which we've talked about as not being the best division in hockey. But the fact that they are sitting up there with a lot of their younger players, I think, is definitely really impressive. So, uh, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, some of these teams are, you know, still kind of in the spots that they are and things haven't been uh you know too kind of uh sporadic over uh the course of things but um yeah I think there's a couple of teams that kind of you look at and you're like oh it's kind of interesting that they're in that spot and I think Anaheim is definitely one of those for me it's interesting that you guys say the Pacific's not the best division in hockey and I'm not saying it is but if you look at like the point totals of the top three teams in both those divisions they're pretty similar like Minnesota's got 39, Anaheim's got 39, St. Louis got 37, Calgary's got 36, Avs have 36, Vegas has got 34. Like, sure, the Pacific has some bad teams like Seattle and Vancouver, but even Vancouver's been playing better as of late. And, you know, the Kings played incredibly well against the Lightning earlier this week. And the Sharks are up and down, but they've shown they have the ability to win games. And earlier in the year, the Oilers were good. They've obviously fallen off a ton in recent weeks. But I don't think the Pacific is nearly as bad as people make it out to be. Like, I I look at, I think the bottom of the Central Division is way weaker than kind of that bottom portion of the uh Pacific Division like I think both San Jose and Los Angeles are better teams than 
say Chicago, Arizona, and maybe even Dallas. Well, that I disagree with. I think Dallas is pretty good. I think they're just underachieving so far. Yeah, and I think you have to realize too. It's like we talk about this a lot. Thirty games, while it does sound like a, a large sample size, like the next thirty games could go very poorly for a team like Edmonton, who um, they are not looking as solid as they were when they had McDavid and Drysaddle scoring literally every night. There was no issue there. Um, Edmonton's going to run into issues, and uh, as we've seen, their offense is not really clicking. They haven't scored more than two goals in like six games now. Uh, can't stop the puck to save their lives either with Miko Koskinen in net, which looks like a real issue. And there are even Edmonton fans that I've seen on Twitter or like even beat writers saying, uh, when do we start thinking about a coaching change, which is never something you want to do in the middle of the season in terms of a contending team or an Edmonton-esque team that relies so heavily on the top end. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's more about us not buying into teams like Anaheim, who we've seen time and time again. Uh, just a young team. It's really just it's a team that will go on a stretch here where they're going to be very poor. They're going to have a very, very tough a um, couple of games when their players, the young players, especially like guys like Zegers and Troy Terry, who haven't played um, these lengthened, you know, obviously they're very compact schedules in the NHL. These guys will end up tiring out. Whereas teams like say Vegas will end up rising to the, be the cream of the crop of the division probably. Um, but yeah, I, I think we more gravitate towards the Eastern conference for our, our top end teams in the league. It's like RK talks about Carolina quite often because he likes what Carolina has done to build a team. And I think Carolina is probably stronger than any team in the West Sands, maybe Colorado uh, or Vegas, if they do play to the fullest of their, their potential. Uh, and I think that's that's a fair analysis. Even like teams like Washington, who um, our, our next point on the list would be Alex Ovechkin, literally leading the league in points um, on pace for 59 goals this year, something along that those lines, which is just ridiculous, something that shouldn't happen. Um, I think it's more about just not trusting in teams like Anaheim yet, or like Calgary's never really consistent once it comes to playoff times. They always have like half decent teams. Um, but yeah, the NHL in general, it's like there are teams that are legitimate regular season teams that will not do anything in the playoffs. And that's why you hear us talk about Minnesota being so mid mediocre most of the time, because you know, when they the playoffs, even if, it, if it's a different team, you just know Minnesota, the core of their roster, it's not a core they can win with probably. Yeah, Minnesota is interesting because I feel like we always talk about the importance of depth, and I feel like that is actually an area of strength for Minnesota, at least in terms of their forward core. I still feel like they could use another body on the defense, and you talked about the goaltending earlier with Minnesota. So I still have a little bit of reservations. You know, if they keep it up throughout this entire year and they stay ahead of teams like St. Louis and Colorado, you know, and end up winning that division, you know, maybe I, I think a little bit differently, but, um, you know, I don't view Minnesota to me as a team that is like a top tier, you know, they are as good of a cup contender as you're going to find in the Western conference, you know, Colorado and uh, Vegas are a little bit higher for me. And even Calgary, I think with how they've played this year is uh, a team I like a little bit more than Minnesota. Well, my point about Vegas has always been, if you go back to that first question, I just said, who is the most slept on team in the NHL and why is it the Minnesota Wild? And I think that's true. And now am I saying they're the Tampa Bay Lightning from a few years ago? No, absolutely not. But I think they're going to be a very solid team that makes the playoffs and wins a few rounds. I, I, I just think that's what they'll be. Yeah, it's been it's just hard for me to accept that considering whenever they have expectations. This is a Minnesota team that has had expectations in the past, especially uh, I think a couple of years ago they were a hundred point team, if not very near a hundred point team, and then just completely did nothing. Um, it's hard to see teams like that. Like it's hard to believe in a team like that. And, and I think RK will agree with me. It's like the Minnesota Wild as a Chicago Blackhawks fan in the same division. The Minnesota Wild were never the number one threat, and will never be the number one threat, even if they are playing as good as this the whole year 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of the thought process that you need to, you know, kind of prove it in the playoffs before I can kind of take you seriously. Sometimes it's just even to a fault, but Minnesota Wild, they haven't even made the conference finals since 2002. So I feel like, you know, they've got some solid guys in place, but they need to prove it, you know, in a best of seven series against a team like Colorado, against a team like St. Louis. Show me that you can, you know, beat them in four or five games and, and, you know, then I can kind of take you a little bit more seriously. Not impossible that the Wild could use this season as a way to, you know, maybe they finally make that push and make that run where they win a couple series. But, uh, you know, I think I just kind of have my reservations on them, you know, like I said, in terms of winning the Stanley Cup. So I just want to ask Donnie a question. Like it's, it's kind of wild, but like the New York Rangers are like a point away from being like president's trophy winners, but it, you know, to your point that it's early in the season, it doesn't really feel that way. Do you think they're going to regress a little bit or do you think this, this pace is sustainable. It depends. I mean, it's like uh, we've seen goalie issues after goalie issues uh, multiple times this year. Their starting goaltender has had uh, small injuries, whether he gets knocked out of a game or now he's missed the last five or six games, which um, the backup goaltending situation is very poor. And you can say that about just about any team in the NHL. It's like if they lose their number one goalie, they're probably not going to be able to compete at the level they have. And we've seen the last week or two, They've been very poor. As I mentioned, you watch them play twice this week against your avalanche and get what I would say is pretty much dominated in both games, at least for the majority of the games. And that's more than just goaltending. So I would say regression is definitely, you know, something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't count out. It's not something you can count out with a Rangers team that is still very young um, running with six or seven guys that are on their entry level contracts, but it really depends on goaltending. It depends on health. And as we've seen with COVID and other things, um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rangers ended up having their, you know, big eight to 10 man COVID list um, within the next couple of weeks. And then we're talking about, oh, this is a Rangers team that's either postponed or they're going to lose every game they play because of all this. It's weird. And I think uh, Ryan probably has the same opinion, but like hockey such a long season that you're bound to hit a point where you're really going to look like just, just absolute shit on the ice. Uh, that's like, literally yeah. what I was thinking, Donnie. I, it's almost like it's all the way podcast for like 70 episodes or something like that. But I, I was going to say that, Eric, you're like, oh, they're a point away from president. They're, they're 50 games away from winning the president's show. There's a long yeah. season ahead of I us. I would bet. got a young team. They're going to go through some growing pains, but they have been great so far to your point. I mean, Hey, I think that there's a lot of guys in the Rangers. You're like, you look at Chris Kreider. I mean, wow. What an incredible year he's been having so far. And some of their younger players been have been great. coming on more recently as well. I think laugh and Kako have both been playing a little bit more solid hockey for him a little bit more recently. So I think there's obviously a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the Rangers without a doubt, a team that's going to make the playoffs. And I think without a doubt, a team that's going to give you a hell of a series and a best to seven, uh, you know, uh, assuming the goalie thing, uh, you know, can kind of sort itself out of Igor's in that. I think that the Rangers definitely have a chance, but a lot of hockey to be played. The Rangers will go through their struggles, but I think you have to be at least be very encouraged with how they've played so far this year. Yeah, I was going to say, I would bet the Rangers end up five or six points at the very least outside of the president's trophy race at the end of the year. Cause it's like, you just know a team like Vegas or Colorado or Tampa is going to go on a stretch where they win 16 of 18. And then they remind people, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, this is why we're here. This is why we've been here in Washington, year. Carolina in your division. Yeah. And I mean, I just wanted to shift over one more point for you the questions. Like I mentioned Alex Ovechkin, but I think it's ridiculous that we can talk about how Alex Ovechkin has more points than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl this year when he is very, very at 36. I mean, we've seen it with so many players. 36 is really the range where the slowdown, like you can notice it. We see it time and time again, even with like Joe Thornton, who's still in the league somehow at 41, 42. Joe Thornton was not the same player he was at 26 and 36. Whereas Alex Ovechkin is the only player that you can really sit there and rationalize like, 
this guy has done nothing to fall off. He's gotten better with age. He's gotten more past first mentality while being the best scorer in the league. It's really just a, a bizarre situation. And Eric, as somebody who hasn't been watching hockey for the last 15 or 20 years, like you're watching greatness. This is legitimately what it means. Like this is like Peyton Manning end of his career, like Tom Brady making a run. This is like the same type of deal at that like level. Like you've been watching hockey for 20 years. I, I've been watching hockey since my fuck. It's I was like, like diapers basically. I've been, I've probably been watching <laughs> hockey for about 15 years now. Okay. Like, like, like seriously. And it's, it's a sad reality that I've never seen anybody win anything. Um, watching all this hockey, whereas RK sits there and he's he's watched his team just rattle off, into hockey, the black rattle off championships like nobody's business. While I'm sitting here depressed and alone when they lose in the, in, to the Los Angeles Kings and Alec Martinez in, in, in overtime after losing three overtime. That was that that was one of the first years I started watching hockey. They I lost three overtime games in this Stanley Cup. How did that? Happen? You can't win one of them. Like they could. Yeah, that, that was that was one. wild. I was I was at Disneyland for during game <laughs> seven and when they scored that overtime winner that place went nuts and you could hear the cheers from the staple center yeah yeah um it was crazy what else do you you have anything else to add rk on terms of hockey this year uh i mean just to comment on ovechkin because i feel like you presented that question eric and he just started talking about disneyland so i mean ovechkin <laughs> i think he definitely is like a generational player like you mentioned brady and manning like he's a different kind of cat you know what i mean like he's 36 but like he's alex ovechkin like until he starts like slowing down and it's showing in his production i'm gonna think this guy's still among the best players in the league just because he's a generational goal scorer and as you mentioned he's been able to add some of that playmaking element to his game more recently as well so i don't think ovechkin is going to be slowing down anytime soon i think it's very fair to say that he's the best goal scorer in the history of hockey even including wayne gretzky i think that there's a chance that he gets there uh you know and passing him uh you know in his career he's still got a long ways to go i get that but you know, I have no reason to think Ovechkin is going to be slowing down in the next, you know, two or three years because he hasn't shown it to this point. And he's done all this without Nick Backstrom, which is really just shocking considering that is the dynamic duo. That is who you expect to be passing him the puck. Right. This. So that'll be interesting. Um, you know, Eric, some interesting comments from you. I really appreciate the fact that you put in the research to have hockey opinions and that you have. Eric's become a hockey fan, and this is something that makes me very proud, considering last year uh, we went to an Avs game, or two years ago you we went to an Avs game together, and he called JT Comfort JD Comfort, which is still something that I will never allow. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to let that fall out of my memory, because now I think of JT Comfort as JD Comfort, so whenever I'm posting highlights, <laughs> it throws me off so bad every time it happens. I have to double-check and triple-check. Um, well, on to questions, and we have two questions this week, a long-ish podcast, but I've got the most obscure question that you're ever going to be asked about um, basketball uh, <laughs> from our friend, Josh. He says from Reddit, who would be a better defender, Andre Roberson or Isaiah Thomas with a gun. And the stipulations are assume that he can't shoot anybody because it's likely a foul um, could be a flagrant could be more depending on how the, the referees um, could be murder. It's, <laughs> it's, and, and assume the crowd is protected by bulletproof glass uh, the gun is likely going to be used more for intimidation. So, RK, we'll start with you, considering you got the question posed to you by uh, your lovely friend who does not like lettuce, Josh. Who is going to be the better defender in that situation? 
Yeah, this is a great thought. Obviously, the the stipulation here is Andre Roberson. This was from a couple of years ago when he was like a, an elite, elite defender. Eric's here. We could say it's Rudy Gobert. You know, take your pick, any kind of, you know, elite actual defender. And then Isaiah Thomas, just like a random short guy who has a gun. So I'm saying like, I'm still taking the guy with the gun, not even because of the intimidation factor. Like, you know, after like five games, the players get it. They're not going to, you know, he's not going to shoot them. He's not going to kill them. You know, their, their life isn't in danger while they're playing. But put Isaiah Thomas underneath the basket and anytime a ball gets close to going in the rim bang fire it off that's like he doesn't need to stand outside the three-point line and like start to you know be this elite sniper with his pistol or whatever he's holding like just stand underneath the basket and they won't score a point like I think that's so easy like I'm taking Isaiah Thomas he's the best shot blocker that you're ever going to find because he's killing the ball now my only kind of question on, on thought it, to me it seems like an easy answer but like is he running out of gun is he running out of bullets like what, what's kind of the stipulation there like I'm still a little curious about that side of things like are we only getting it for you know a couple I don't really know there but i mean i'm taking the guy with the gun just because like i guarantee you the ball's not going i like are we getting replacement balls like there, there's still some things i got questions on but i'm taking oh, the guy there, with there's the gun, one ball the guy, and it's deflated every time as soon as the ball is shot it's deflated and now you have to just go from there and figure out how you're gonna play like yeah uh, eric you know obviously you did a little bit of research on this question what's your answer yeah, I'm going to go Andre Robertson. Uh, he, he's a really good defender. Uh, I would say he's a better defender than Rudy Gobert. I'm actually not one of those people that's like, oh, look at, because Rudy Gobert has serious concerns around the perimeter. Now, it is true that Rudy Gobert is the best paint defender in the league, no doubt about it in my mind. But on the perimeter, he gets a little bit exposed sometimes. Uh, but also, I think Isaiah Thomas, like, at some point, the referees would have to step in and be like, hey, number one, there's probably NBA, like, fine print that you can't bring a gun into an arena unless you're Yeah, well, Gilbert Arenas didn't care. True. So, like, I don't know. It feels like he's going to get dinged somehow, someway. So, I'll go Andre Robertson. So, you're a believer in law and rule and order, which is something that, you know... <laughs> this is from Reddit. That doesn't exist. Yeah, Reddit, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, you give a guy a gun, come on now. Like, he's going to sit there and just... You have a gun to your head every time you have the ball or something like that. Like, that's, that's scary shit. Even if you know you're not going to get shot. Like, I don't think people in the crowd are going to want to deal with it. I don't... It's, it'd be very bad for the game of basketball, but I still think <laughs> the, guy, the guy with the gun in general, just he's going to be... He's going to benefit from this. Put that on a quote board, Donnie. Guy with gun, bad for basketball. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not hard to understand, yet it's something that, you know, maybe people in America may question. Who knows? You know, we, we have we have big gun fans here in America. Um, so with that, we can move on to the final question. Would you like to propose the question, RK, as you know, you know, family? Sure, absolutely. So end of the podcast, designated spot, my sister Kira. She's got a great question. Her question is, what's your favorite Snapple fact? So uh, before I before I answer the question, I'll share an origin of where this came from. So I was like in my room walking downstairs the other day and I had like four like these like bottle snapples. Here's like an example of them. And I was like throwing them out and she's like, you have four snapples. And I was like, stop bullying me. OK, I just I just drink a lot of snapple. It's good. And a flaw, a character flaw of mine is like I'll, I'll drink a snapple like 85, 90 percent and then I'll go open a new one. And then I've just got like a handful of snapples that only have like five to 10 percent left. So anyways, that's how I stack up all these snapple bottles now these like new snapple bottles that i get like they don't have like the facts on them anymore like these caps like there's no like 
oh maybe there is a fact actually okay so i'm a liar anyway okay doesn't do his research anyways. sad so i wow that was live podcasting but so my favorite sample fact is cows give more milk when they listen to music I was like, I was like, I was like a stunned by this. Like cows just like start listening to Travis Scott and they start producing more music or more milk. Like what? I don't understand how that's a thing, but I guess so. Cows get really excited. You know, and like, hey, more milk when, when, you know, Drake is playing. So, I mean, there you go. I, I guess that's a fact. You know, I would stay away from the Travis Scott um, <laughs> things, you know, recent, recent months, you know, you never know what's going to happen with the Travis Scott. Eric, Snapple fact, hit me with it. Yeah, I went to their website, got a few, uh, but one I was enamored with the most, children go faster during the springtime. I don't know if that's true. What, uh, like in terms of height? Like the, that's wild. I assume so. It just says children huh. grow faster during springtime. Can I click this? Will it tell me more? Or... No. no. It's just, just an, one line. Just an email thing. Uh, no. It, more sunlight, I guess. I mean. It's a fact. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's a fact. <laughs> so the fact that that happens is, is really odd to me. That's, that's very scary, that the fact that that's like a, a realistic one. Um, I decided just to go on the Snapple website and randomize one to get you one, and I got a good one. Um, did you know dolphins are unable to smell? They don't have any sense of smell at Yes, all. I was going through the rant. I also went to the Snapple website and hit randomize a few times, and I did get that one. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. That, that, That's that was tough one for our one. guy, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, right there. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Obviously, a, a significant um, you know, disadvantage when he's on the field trying to throw passes on top of the already physical disadvantage that he has with injuries every week. Um, Eric. Plug yourself. What do you want us to know about? What are you interested in? What's life? This is a couple of minutes for you to just talk. Uh, oh. Although you haven't done that already, you know, we can give you some more time. Great. Um, I'm just learning now that fresh cranberries can be bounced like a rubber ball. That's something I learned from Snapple Facts. Apple Facts. So there's another one for you. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eric18Utah. I am starting to write on my blog a little more, the drama of it all, sportsblog.com. It's mainly Utah college football stuff. So I don't know how interested your whole audience isn't going to be on that but i'm pretty plugged into everything college football in utah just because that's kind of all there is here sometimes um but yeah that i I won't bore your listeners like this i'm not scott you know i'm not here (laughs) i'm not here to drone on love to see it it. not not here to drone on and on about that no disrespect, Scott, but I know that full bothers, disrespect, Scott. Full I, disrespect. I know that that bothers some people here, so I I try very hard not to do that. Though, shout out the Utes, fair playing in the Rose Bowl, baby. We're playing oh, Ohio who cares, State. Dude, it doesn't get absolutely destroyed, Eric. I'm just gonna say it. I don't think so. I think they have a chance. But um, you can also find me on the Endzone podcast at Endzone Pod on twitter and we are getting back to doing that more regularly sometimes we miss a week but hey we're doing the best we can so uh we're wrapping up the school season here so that's nice donnie and ryan thank you so much for having me on you're both great friends to me uh very few people will let me come and ramble on their podcast for an hour plus and uh, so, just, let, just let me speak my stream of conscience that just pops across the brain. So I appreciate that you two let me do that. So I appreciate you. 
Thank I just you. want you to understand. I, I was like torn between setting up, like going through all the years of your tweets and just digging up every bad or weird take that you've had uh, that happened during a sporting event for, um, you know, the reactionary tweet segment. But I decided, you know, I've done this to Eric already uh, on his own. On his podcast. We, on we his can own do this. It, uh, that sounds like actually a good off-season pod when there's not a ton of sports going you on. You remind like some, me. Uh, like me you're kind of, interrupting my draft talk, Eric. Yeah, like I sometime mean, in the middle of the summer, like that. Okay, be good. okay, yeah, summer scouting. Okay, so you, you remember, um, you remind me, and I will put together a full laundry list of everything that you've ever said on Twitter that was even remotely wrong. And we'll be spending six or seven hours breaking down all of those uh tweets. There's probably hundreds of them. Uh, RK, you want to finish us off here? Yeah, let's do it. Obviously, you know, Sheck West, who's coming on the podcast, you know, right Sheck after man. Eric here. So definitely be sure He's to kind of a jerk to you guys, one. by the way. Never comes on. I mean, yeah, I, I got to stand up for my guys. I don't, I, don't, I don't think you understand the communication Donnie and I have directly with Sheck West, Eric. So listen, I mean, Sheck, I mean, you got to stop ghosting these guys. Like, they're big <laughs> fans of yours. They they shout you out every week. I mean, you have 80, really 80 strong. Out. Yeah. Yep. Like, come on, guys. Like, like you, you've got a good audience here, and these guys will do literally anything for you. So, I mean, like, come on, man. Like, literally anything have, might be a stretch. Have your guys back. <laughs> I mean, come on, Check West, show some loyalty. Yeah. Well, I think Eric made a valid point, and also he's coming on next show, so that's really nice. So, really Let's go. Um, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. It's been a good one. Obviously, it sucks we had to talk about COVID. I hope next time we record, everything's not like March 2020, and Donnie and I are like, what are we going to talk about? Well, that's it how probably we will questions, be. And now, like, honestly, really fun. We got questions about basketball players with a gun and Snapple facts. So then we learned about dolphins. So, I mean, that was pretty exciting, honestly. So maybe, maybe, you know, we just make the best of every situation and that's what that is. So definitely give us a shout on social media as well. We love interacting with people like Eric, who end up just becoming our friends and coming on the podcast and talking about the state of Utah. So it's really fun. So <laughs> shout out to everybody for making it this far. End of the podcast, folks. You guys are absolutely the best. So definitely give us a shout if you made it this far on social media. Thanks, everybody, again. And have a great rest of your day. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This gon' be the best day ever. If it ain't about a dream, then it ain't about me. Go a couple full weeks without a good night's sleep. Imagination, making musical creation, a journey that I'm facing, plus the paper that I'm chasing. Got me crazy after saying it with the lames I see you hating, but there's nothing that you're changing.